Hi there, everyone. Michael Lee Bryan here from the Oracular School of Astrology with next week's astrology for the week of October 15th to October 21st, 2023. As you all know, last week I included our Uranian Astrology Weekly Report in our next week's astrology forecast, and I'm really excited to be able to do that again because Uranian Astrology has for several years now been my astrological drug of choice. I think a lot of us have things that we do on the side in terms of our astrology practice that we probably don't talk about <laughs> to everybody in general, and Uranian Astrology has definitely been something that I've been cultivating within my life, but I didn't really know whether or not the podcast in general was the best place to share that with everyone because I really wanted for people to have a touchstone of wonderful, authentic, traditional astrology within their lives. But I think that we've pretty much established that at this point. And so now I want to share with everybody my deep love and passion and commitment to the study of Uranian astrology as well in a way that that I think gives you enough access to be able to dive into Uranian astrology, but it also gives you some of your traditional astrology combinations that we all know and love. So if this is your first time joining us here on the Oraculos podcast, then by all means, please subscribe to the Oraculos podcast wherever you're either watching or listening to us across the internet. If you're watching on YouTube, then please do subscribe as well as hit the notification bell so that you receive notifications of when we come out with these podcasts on a weekly basis. The forecast comes out on a weekly basis, but we've definitely been super committed to bringing you wonderful astrological content on a daily basis. So make sure that you subscribe as well as hit the notification bell so that you receive notifications of when we come out with these episodes. Also, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do leave us a review on those platforms to let people know what you love about the Oraculos podcast. And if you don't currently follow us or subscribe to us on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then please do take a moment, open your Spotify app, hit subscribe on the Oraculos podcast so that whether you are sitting in the front of a computer or if you're listening to us in the car, you have many touchstones of access to the wonderful content that we come out with here on the Oraculos podcast. Now, I do want to let everybody know that a group of the certified students from the Oraculo School of Astrology are currently giving readings over on our website. So if you've always wanted to experience a world-class natal astrology reading, then by all means, please go and book yourself a reading with any of our highly skilled and qualified students over at oraculosastrology.com. At the moment, we have Ebony Bledsoe, Jack Kovaleski, Rajesh Basu, as well as Emma Bagarian giving readings over on our website. All of these students are senior students at the Oraculo School of Astrology. They have gone through years at this point of listening to me teach them the sort of astrology that I practice and also the sort of astrology that I teach in general. So if you want to experience the magic of an Oraculos reading, and if you want to see what the evidence of Oraculos astrological education ends up being, then please do go and give yourself a reading with one of our highly skilled and qualified astrologers who are currently giving readings over at oraculosastrology.com. 
gmail.com. Now, without further ado, here's your forecast for October 15th to October 21st, 2023. Do enjoy. Last week, I entitled our episode of next week's astrology as a volcanic week ahead. And it definitely has been exactly that. For those of you who've been keeping your finger on the pulse of what's been going on within international news, one of the things that has occurred has been the war that's broken out in Israel between Israel and Palestine. Now, many of us know that there has been for years a very tense relationship between these two groups of people, and a lot of that relationship and a lot of that tension has been based on, and people have said that it's been based on biblical reasons or things going back hundreds and hundreds of years. But truthfully, a lot of what we see manifesting today in terms of the relationship between Israel and Palestine has really just really come to a fore within the last hundred years. And that war has really been about designated sections of land within that part of the world that are supposed to be areas of land that are meant to serve those two groups of people, not just the Israeli people, but also the Palestinian people as well. And this is something that I want to do a much longer podcast segment on, because something I've always wanted to do here is explore mundane global events through the lens of both traditional astrology as well as Uranian astrology here on the podcast. And that's something that I think the first installment of that is going to be us taking a look at the Yom Kippur War, which happened in October 1973, which was 50 years ago. And we know that we're now within another period of war or another major conflict within Israel. And so I want to take a look at the Yom Kippur War retrospectively. And that's possibly, crossing my fingers, something that we're going to get to do this week as well. The reason I'm bringing that up is because on October 8th, we had the Mars-Square-Pluto combination in the sky, and I'm going to put a snippet of last week's forecast here for those of you who weren't here, so that you can hear what I had to say about that combination. So on this day, we see the herald of a very challenging combination. And on days like this, we have the evidence of war and rumors of war. Because Mars-Pluto is also a combination of people going into warfare with each other because those people just don't have the ability to see eye to eye. And so what might start off as a combination that feels like people just honestly letting their opinions be heard can quickly devolve into a combination of people shooting missiles at each other, of people intentionally doing things to hurt one another, and of people even forgetting the reason why they're fighting to begin with because they're so caught up in the experience of being in a state of war that they don't have the sort of mental sobriety necessary to step away from that wrathful state in order to realize that they're actually causing more harm than they are causing circumstances that can lead to peaceful resolutions of the conflicts between them. What I said was that that combination represented the evidence of war and rumors of war, and that underneath the Mars-Pluto combination that we would be very likely to see people going at war with each other. It would be a very large possibility that we see things like what we're seeing now within the news in terms of the outbreak of war. I also specifically said that this is a period in which people 
are shooting missiles at one another. And as you all know, at the Oraculo School of Astrology, we love concrete astrology because concrete event-based astrology is essentially the astrology that forms and shapes our world. And so that's what I said about the 8th of October. And what we saw happening last week was that on the 7th of October, that is largely when a lot of the war actions began within Israel. So we're going to be keeping our finger on the pulse of this within the coming weeks just to see how things are going to continue to unfold from an astrological perspective so that you could have the information that you need astrologically about the events occurring on Earth. Now, moving into this week's astrology, the first thing that we see happening on October 15th, 2023 at 3am EDT is we have the moon going void, of course, but that's going to be after she makes her final aspect on this day, which is her square to Pluto. Now, Moon Square Pluto is something that I've spoken about quite a bit within these forecasts. One, because the moon moves pretty quickly, so we are bound to have a Moon Square Pluto story to talk about quite regularly within the context of giving weekly forecasts. But the Moon Square Pluto is something that is very significant, both within the world at large, and a big part of that is because the moon represents the voice of the people, or the Vox Populi, and within the mundane astrology perspective, the moon just represents the people in general. And when we have the combination of moon-pluto, that can represent that the people find themselves under an extraordinary amount of untenable pain, as well as pressure, as well as trauma, and that that is something that's characterizing this snippet of time. Now, I say snippet of time because we know that the moon moves relatively quickly, and within the course of this day, the 15th of October, we also have the moon ingressing into Scorpio, which also isn't necessarily the greatest place in the world for the moon, but it doesn't change the fact that the actual contact of moon square Pluto isn't really going to last that long. We have the moon squaring Pluto at 3 a.m., and then we have the moon ingressing into Scorpio at 7.03 a.m. EDT. So why am I giving you information about this? Because we need to know what these various planetary combinations mean in general. What I've said in the past about Moon-Pluto from a natal perspective is that very often when a person has Moon-Pluto, it sets them up to have a very challenging relationship with their mother as a very specific figure within their lives. And that challenge that can unfold within their maternal relationship can feel as if they come from a manipulative mother or they come from a mother who doesn't really have maternal skills to really make them feel nurtured or cared for within this lifetime. And very often what we see with the Moon-Pluto combination is that can also represent people who come from a mother who's also specifically manipulative towards them or a mother who is specifically also gaslighting them about that manipulation. And that's because Pluto by itself has to do with all of these subterranean ways that we try to take advantage of other people around us. And the Moon has to do with those parts of ourselves that are vulnerable and those parts of ourselves that really represent the formative stages of our lives. So when we have the combination of Moon and Pluto together, it could be a very challenging thing from a natal perspective, particularly when these two planets have a hard aspect relationship 
or the quincunx within our natal chart. So if you have this combination, then possibly within the context of your life, the mother wound is something that you've had to navigate healing to a very large degree. Now we have the moon at 27 degrees of Libra. As you all know from previous forecasts that we've done, whenever the moon is in a particular sign of the zodiac, as well as being afflicted by another planet from whichever other sign of the zodiac, it oftentimes represents an affliction of that part of the body that that sign corresponds with that the moon is in. So we know that Libra corresponds largely with the kidneys within our bodies. And so having the moon-Pluto combination can have to do with obstruction within the kidneys. It can have to do with pain within the kidneys. Sometimes pain within the kidneys could be because of kidney stones. And that gives us a very great sense of pain, particularly below our ribs at the sides of our bodies where we find the kidneys is where that pain could be manifesting the most. So there can be a story of abnormal pain within that particular part of the body. And as we all know, with the moon representing the womb as well as the gut, there can also be a story of pain that the person carries in terms of their womb health, but also in terms of their ability to eat and digest food and be nourished by virtue of the food that they're eating and digesting. And a big part of that can also have to do with the fact that if somebody has such a formative wound in terms of their relationship to their mother growing up, then that can manifest or register physically within the body as a sense of that person not being able to nurture themselves as an adult. And that's something that we find in terms of some of the gut health related issues that we find in the charts of people who have the moon in a hard aspect relationship with Pluto, but that can also manifest as a person not knowing how to fully step into the role of motherhood and their body is not really knowing how to step fully or comfortably into the role of motherhood as well. And that's another thing that we find within the charts of people who have the moon, Pluto in hard aspect. So those are the two things that we have with this moon, Pluto starting off the week of October, 2023. The next thing that we have coming up is Venus in a contraparallel relationship with the sun. Yes, you heard that correctly. Venus can be contraparallel the sun, even though from a zodiacal perspective, Venus cannot be further than 48 degrees away from the sun. But this is something that I always try to teach my students, especially within their first semester of learning astrology, that there are multiple coordinate systems that we can use to map out our sky. So even though Venus and the sun are having one particular type of relationship within the zodiac and only capable of having one type of relationship within the zodiac, when we place those same planets on another mapping system, such as the contraparallel being an aspect in declination, which means we're now measuring them on the celestial equator as opposed to on the zodiac or the ecliptic belt, then we find other more diverse possibilities being possible as far as the planets are concerned. So Venus cannot be opposite the sun from a geocentric perspective within the context of our zodiac, but from a declination perspective, as far as parallels and contraparallels are concerned, Venus can be opposite the sun because we have Venus in a contraparallel relationship with the sun on the 15th of October, and that's happening at 3.43 a.m. EDT. Venus contraparallel, the sun, is registered as any Venus-Sun contact.
And this goes to another thing that I teach students in their second semester, which is it doesn't really matter what sort of hard aspect relationships planets have, because all hard aspects can be interpreted in the exact same way as far as those planets are concerned from a planet-to-planet-based -planet perspective. Now, there was a moment on Twitter not too long ago when... I don't think I said this initially, but someone said this, and it was a very sensible thing to say, but I think that person was saying it because they heard me say it before, but whatever, who knows what came first, the chicken or the egg. The point is that someone said that conjunctions can be interpreted as oppositions. Now, that statement is very true, but that statement is very true within the context of understanding planets purely based on their own terms. Within traditional astrology, where we refer to the rulers of houses, and we refer to the rulers of houses being in aspect with other rulers of other houses, a conjunction cannot be interpreted in the same way as we interpret an opposition, because that would just be stupid. Because when we speak about two planets being in an opposition relationship, and when we're referring to those planets as the rulers of houses, then that means that the two topics that those houses represent are in a state of warfare with each other. So if I have the rule of my first house in an opposition relationship with the rule of my fourth house, I hate my father, my father hates me. If I have the rule of my second house in an oppositional relationship with the rule of my fifth house, my children hate my money, my money hates my children. If I have the rule of my third house in an oppositional relationship with the rule of my seventh house, my sibling hates my spouse, my spouse hates my sibling. Because that is what it means from a traditional astrology perspective to have the rulers of houses in oppositional relationships. Whereas if we had those same rulers of those same houses in the conjunction relationship, there could be a very great sense of connection or camaraderie or a mutual love or appreciation that those planets have for each other as far as the topics of the houses they rule is concerned. So the rule of my first house in the conjunction with the rule of my fourth house, I love my father, my father loves me, I love my father so much I even look like my daddy. The point is that when we have conjunctions from a traditional astrology perspective, that has more to do with the coming together, whereas when we have oppositions from a traditional astrology perspective, that has to do more with a separation or a severing of two people apart from each other. Now, when we're talking about planets, not as the specific rulers of houses, but when we're talking about planets purely based on their universal significations as planets, then we only look at the hard aspects relationships between those planets. And the reason for that is because hard aspects make things happen and they're far more manifest and they have far more of a tangible impact in the world around us, which is why when we are practicing concrete event-based astrology, we tend to focus on the hard aspects only between planets. However, when we're focusing on hard aspects only, that means that all hard aspects are equal because we're no longer looking at the planets through the symbolic lens of saying that the rule of my first house is in a hard aspect with the rule of my seventh house, therefore, because when you're looking at planets on their own terms, this notion of house rulership gets thrown out of the window. So within a world in which we are looking at the combinations of planets with other planets as a means of giving us concrete 
concrete things to say about the world in which we live. We only look at hard aspects. And in that world, oppositions and conjunctions do mean the same thing because we don't care that one is having zero degrees between them and the other is having 180 degrees between them. The point is both of those connections manifest concrete events within the world. I hope that I'm making myself very clear with this because what ended up happening on Twitter as a result of this person saying conjunctions and oppositions should be interpreted equally is they called the entire firing squad for this person because they were saying this person is so stupid, Noah should resend the flood in order to flood out these people who could think such a stupid thing. But it's only stupid if you don't actually understand the underbelly of actual, true, concrete, mundane astrology, or if you just don't understand astrology on its own terms, which is a problem because today we really don't understand astrology on its own terms. And so we tend to talk about astrology as a natal-based subject and only that, but we don't understand the larger applications of astrology. So I went in preaching the gospel about what I just shared with you about how we view planets and how we view hard aspects from a mundane event-based perspective and no one had anything to say. It was crickets for days underneath that post and I don't know what the reason for that is. But I'm saying all of that to say that on this day, the 15th, that we have Venus in the contra-parallel relationship with the sun. We love Venus sun as a contact. It's a wonderful contact in terms of days of marriage. Venus sun literally means love is occurring on this day or marriage is occurring on this day. So we love the connection of Venus and the sun. We love the connection of the sun with any benefic planet. And the reason for that is because that benefic planet carries its benevolence and the sun has the ability to corporealize that benevolence or the sun has the ability to make that benevolence real or tangible. So if we have Venus sun, then we have the corporeal or the physical expression of love. If we have Sun, Jupiter, we have the corporeal or the physical expression of wealth and abundance. And if you're wondering whether or not I learned the word corporeal from Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban, you bet your lucky dollar I learned the word corporeal from Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban. However, this is also a word that we find showing up within the larger context of traditional astrology as well because corporeal has to do with something taking on an actual tangible shape within the world at large. So anyway, Venus Sun has to do with the manifestation of love. That's something that we see happening on the 15th of October. And Venus Sun also is a combination of marriage. It's a wonderful combination to get married under. It's a wonderful combination for the manifestation of anything physical as far as our artistic endeavors are concerned. It's a great day to buy art, invest in art. All of these things make sense under the combination of Venus and the Sun. From a medical astrology perspective, when we have Venus and the Sun as a very close contact within our chart, it also specifically can point towards the reproductive system in general. Venus is representing sperm from the perspective of men, basically, and Venus is representing the ovum or the egg, the uterus, the female reproductive system from the perspective of women. The Venus-Sun combination is a combination that we sometimes not sometimes, but we oftentimes see it coming up within charts where there are very interesting reproductive issues. The ancient Indians had this thought that 
If Venus represented the moisture necessary to produce life, then her being too close to the sun could be something that threatened that moisture because clearly the sun is hot. And so if the sun is hot, then that means that this can be a combination that we see manifesting within people who have various issues as far as fertility is concerned. And that can just be reproductive health in general in the 21st century, but previously 400 years ago, 500 years ago, this could have been something that showed up within the chart of someone who dealt with issues of fertility or sterility for that matter, the inability to actually have children. So that's something else we see under Venus Sun. We love the conjunction of Venus and the Sun, but we also know that Venus conjunct the Sun largely has a great deal of her moisture dried up. So it can be great from looking pretty, but it may not necessarily be the best thing in the world as far as procreation is concerned. So that's the Venus Sun happening on the 15th. On this 15th, we also have the Moon ingressing into Scorpio. That's happening at 7.03 a.m. EDT. Moon and Scorpio, not the best combination in the world. We know that the Moon and Scorpio is the Moon in the sign of her fall. So Moon and Scorpio is really not doing so well. And from an electional astrology perspective, the only reason why you should probably try to elect something with the moon in Scorpio is if you yourself have the moon in Scorpio, or if you yourself have Scorpio rising, or if you yourself have the rule of your ascendant in Scorpio, and this moon at zero degrees of Scorpio is going to be in a conjunction with any of those factors. However, in general, the moon represents the cosmic undercurrent underneath every operation. The moon represents the psychic backdrop upon which everything is built. And that can be the actual realities of a human life, which is why the moon is our cosmic root to the entire universe within our birth chart. But it can also represent the realities of anything that we want to initiate. We like the moon to be in a good set of circumstances. And the moon in Scorpio is definitely not in a good set of circumstances. So we just want to be mindful of that as well on this day, the 15th of October. The day starts off with the moon void, of course. The day is progressing with the moon in Scorpio, and that's happening at 7.03 a.m. And we know that the moon only is moving 12 degrees a day, which means that this moon in Scorpio is pretty much going to be in Scorpio for the entire day. So what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Not the very best time in the world as far as the initiation of events is concerned. Because just why would you want to do that? The point of the matter is that we as astrologers are omen-based people. We're a very technical people as well, but we're also omen-based people. And my grandmother told me that the moon in Scorpio is not the best omen in the world for anything. <laughs> so, you know, if you had to choose between launching a business when the moon was in Scorpio or launching a business when the moon ingresses into Sagittarius, wait the two and a half days and launch your business when the moon ingresses into Sagittarius so that your business is being launched with a less afflicted moon. And that is all I have to say on the moon and Scorpio situation. Now, from a medical astrology perspective, Scorpio is having, once again, to do with the reproductive system, but the moon and Scorpio and afflictions to the moon and Scorpio can also have to do with the bladder as well. So if you have the moon and Scorpio and the moon and Scorpio is afflicted, that can be a combination that represents a urinary tract infection, a UTI. That can also be something that represents a proclivity towards yeast infections 
friends as well. If we have the moon in Scorpio particularly afflicted by Mars, then that can have to do with burning or inflammation within the urinary tract. And so that's just something that we would like to know from a general medical astrology perspective, because this is how the ancients conceived the moon in Scorpio being under affliction. Now, on this day, we have a trans-Neptunian planet, Kronos, stationing retrograde. Kronos has to do with all things that are noble and upright and that are God-faring and that are in honor of all humanity. Kronos has to do with the born leader, people in high positions in government, the authority figures, people who are benevolent leaders as well. Whereas we know that Saturn can just be a cruel, harsh leader who takes your babies, Kronos has to do more with benevolent or wise government or benevolent or wise authority. And we have the trans-Neptunian planet that represents benevolent and wise authority stationing retrograde. So once again, as astrologers, we are omen-based people. If we're anything at all, we're definitely a lover of a good omen. And it does not seem to bode well that we have Kronos, who is representing benevolent or wise leadership stationing retrograde. Because we know that from a traditional astrological perspective, anything that's retrograde is something that is going to be in a state of affliction. And that's just it, basically. And while these traditional astrology rules don't necessarily apply in a major way to things that we don't find within a traditional astrological sky, we can still say that on this day there is a heightened event surrounding the retrogradation of good leadership or there is a heightened event surrounding our leaders or our government officials in the world possibly not really having everything they need to do their job or perform their job in a way that genuinely has the greatest well-being of humankind on their mind. So that's something that we see happening on the 15th of October and we're going to keep a look at this chronos to see how that continues to pan out. Now on this day, the 15th of October, still on the 15th of October, a very busy day. We also have the sun in the Queen Kong's relationship with Uranus. That's happening at 3.43 p.m. EDT. When people of the sun, Queen Kong's Uranus within their charts, those people are weird. They're weird. If you have the sun in any sort of hard aspect relationship with Uranus in your chart, you are, in the words of Robert Hand, I heard him once uh, say to someone who had Uranus rising, I think, you are a card-carrying weird person. And that's just a reality of your life. You can't really shake that off. And I think when it comes to Uranus, a part of the weirdness is that you're so aware that you have the ability to manifest your humanity at such a high level that that may naturally set you up to be at odds with people around you. And it can feel as if nobody understands you because the way how you're drawing down the lightning may be a way that people aren't necessarily accustomed to being around. So as a child, you may go through a period of feeling as if you are weird forever and nobody likes you and you're the outcast. And that doesn't matter if you're surrounded by other weird people or if you're surrounded by your family and friends. It can always make you feel somehow isolated or alien. 
alienated because you feel as if, oh my God, every time I open my mouth, I come out saying something shocking. And even when I try to speak in the most conventional, orthodox way possible, I still end up scaring the shit out of everybody. And so Sun Uranus is a combination of that. And as a result of that, when we're growing up under that combination, it can leave us feeling like, oy vey, here I am finding myself not being able to really find comfort within my environment. And that can be the formula for a great level of anxiety within a person. That can also be a formula for a great level of nervousness within that person. When we have Sun Uranus, what I said earlier about being able to draw down the lightning is actually true. Because a person who has Sun Uranus has a very overactive, hyperactive nervous system, and that can manifest as any number of overactive, hyperactive maladies within the life of that person. And that can manifest as insomnia, or that can manifest as that person just having nervous tics, that can manifest as Tourette's, that can manifest as any of these things that feel as if there is so much lightning being brought through this person into this world that the container, the vessel of their physical being doesn't really know what to do with all of it. So if you're someone with Sun Uranus, you need to give yourself as many opportunities for rest and recuperation as possible, even though when we tend to have Sun Uranus, rest and recuperation can seem like a bit of a drag because we just want to keep on moving and keep on going. However, I recently gave a reading to someone who had a very strong Uranus within their chart, and by very strong, I mean it was conjunct his mid heaven and he was tired of all of the movement. He was tired of all of the constant turbulence. He was tired. He was tired. He was tired. And it was conjunct his midheaven and squaring his ascendant. And within the chart of a person like that, I think one of the flaws of my astrology is or not of my astrology. I think the astrology is fine. One of the flaws of me as a human being practicing astrology, because I could have been a hippopotamus practicing astrology, but one of the flaws of me being a human being practicing astrology is that I also tend to look for the path of least resistance. And so I said, well, hell, you have Uranus conjunctia midheaven, then you probably want to gravitate towards a very Uranian field. You probably want to continue to be on the cutting edge and in the hustle and the bustle and having the constant transaction and having the freedom to come and go as you please. And he was like, no, I've done that. That's all I've ever done. I've done so much of that. I'm tired. And so the way how your chart looks, even though it may be descriptive of everything going on within your life, it may not necessarily be what you want to continue going on within your life, especially if those things have burdened you in such a way that it feels like, oh my God, can I just take a rest? So that can be what the Sun-Uranus combination feels like, and that's how it's manifesting from a more medical astrology perspective as well. Now, on this day, we also have Mercury Admetos. As we know, I love Admetos. And if you don't know that, then you need to go listen to the recording from last week where I said, I love Admetos. I love Admetos because I'm a Sun Admetos person, which explains a lot. You know, when I look at my birth chart, I understand myself to a very great extent. But it wasn't until I saw my Sun in a conjunction with Admetos on the 90 degree dial that my whole world made sense. Boy, oh boy. So anyway, I'm an Admetos person. I love Admetos. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So when we have Mercury in the Sasqui quadrate with Admetos, as we do on the 15th of October at 4.46 p.m. EDT, this is something that is a bit less nice 
than my personal sun at Mitos because having Mercury at Mitos has to do with people who oftentimes have a very limited or a very narrow range of thinking. So when we project this onto the world at large, this can look like a very crippling orthodoxy, and it can look like a very crippling approach to conservatism. Now, this isn't to say that conservatism as an institution is problematic by itself, but this is to say that when we really sink our heels into a form of fundamentalist narrative that doesn't actually give space to other possibilities that exist, then that becomes a crippling approach to conservatism. So this is something that we might see occurring on the 15th of October. It's also something that represents pessimism, where it doesn't necessarily feel as if the conditions that we find ourselves thrusted into as a global community at large are going to improve. So maybe we hear very bad news coming in on the 15th of October. Maybe it feels like on the 15th of October, there's really nothing happening that feels positive, or it sounds as if the story that we're currently hearing within the world is only getting worse. And that's because the Mercury and Mitos has to do with news or information surrounding death and grief. Sometimes we can be so stricken by that grief that it forces us into a state of standstill or it forces us into a state of stasis where we say to ourselves, how could this possibly get worse? And as we're sitting there dwelling within that shell of how can this possibly get worse, we don't actually allow ourselves to make positive movement towards the improvement of our circumstances. So the 15th of October, the only glimmer of hope on this day is the Venus in the contra-parallel relationship with the Sun because the larger outlay of this day is a day where we're hearing news that we don't like. It's a day when we're hearing news that feels pessimistic. It's a day when we are finding ourselves so stricken by the horror within the news that we're hearing that it doesn't feel as if we can do anything because we're so caught up within the shock of that. And it's also a day, Mercury and Mitos, it's also a day of failed negotiations. So maybe we hear in our news cycle on this day that a peace treaty was sought. And however, that peace treaty was broken within 24 hours of it being established. Or maybe we hear that a ceasefire was announced, but that ceasefire was also broken, which is something that happened in the year 1973 in the Yom Kippur War, where there was a ceasefire that was announced However, it's still dubious to this day as to which side, whether it was Egypt and Syria that broke the ceasefire or whether it was Israel that broke the ceasefire. That's still up for debate. But the point is that under the Mercury and Mitos combination, we do have this notion of negotiations being broken or negotiations just failing in general. So negotiations which are a dead issue can be manifesting within our news cycles on this days, so we want to pay attention to the news to see whether or not someone did try to establish a peace treaty and whether or not that actually has the ability to stick, basically. And because from an astrological perspective, today is probably the worst day for them, whoever they are, to try to establish a peace treaty because it doesn't actually seem as if it has the ability to have the greatest amount of endurance as a result of the Mercury 
at Mitos. Now moving on to October 16th. The only thing we have going on on October 16th is the Zeus Stationing Retrograde. Zeus is a god of firearms. And therefore, that places Zeus on the same spectrum of fire and explosions and bombs and everything in the same way as we consider Mars to be on that spectrum. And we could even consider Zeus to be a super Mars. And so Zeus stationing retrograde isn't necessarily the greatest omen in the world. In the year 1973, I'm pretty positive I can bet my lucky dollar that Vulcanus, which is another eruptive Uranian astrology planet that also has the ability to manifest in a very large and potentially cruel and destructive way, Vulcanus was also stationing retrograde in 1973 in the middle of the Yom Kippur War. So the point is that these things are heralds of war and the rumors of war, basically. So that is pretty much all I have to say about the 16th of October. And as a matter of fact, I feel as if we are currently within the vortex of that now. So just because it's happening on the 16th of October, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen on the day of the 16th of October, especially with these trans-Neptunian planets that have such a long period and that have such a long orbit in general, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen on that day. But I do think that this is indicative of the fact that we are in a season in general of human life, or rather we are in an era of human life in which the influence of these trans-Neptunian stationing retrograde is something that we feel in a more stronger way. And it doesn't just have to be on the 16th of October, it can be something that we feel slowly developing and probably coming to a head on the 16th, but this is a period of firearms. It is a period where, from a governmental perspective, we don't really have all of the tools and the resources to stand up in the world in a very strong way as a result of the chronos also going retrograde. So these are things that we just see on the ground in general, and the fact that they are slowly mushrooming out in the ways that we see is indicative of a larger moment in time in which we find ourselves, and not just that it's a one-and-done deal that happens on the 16th and then that's it. Now, moving on to the next day of the 17th of October, we have the sun in a conjunction with Zeus. So I just spoke about Zeus the day before, and we have this manifesting more strongly on the 17th. This combination is hot, 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 and actually the 17th in general is a very tricky day, and I dare say the 17th in general is going to be one of the most challenging days that we have coming up within this coming week. So you heard it here first on the Oraculous Podcast. The 17th is a day that is a problem. The 17th is the most problematic day that we find manifesting within this coming week. The sun in the conjunction with Zeus has to do with the burning body. And when I think about Burning Man, <laughs> clearly that's kind of one of the places my mind goes to, but Sun Zeus has to do with the burning body. And I think that that is such a strong motif that is probably just present within our collective unconscious because when we hear that, that automatically takes us, well, it automatically takes me 
into these moments within history where that motif of the burning body has just been a symbol of a society that just didn't know how to get its shit together. And I think that that is something that is very much a part of the history of just the U.S. in general, this notion of the burning body. And it, it brings up these images that are so traumatic and that are also so problematic in terms of how human beings relate to each other, but also in terms of how one group of human beings relate to another group of human beings. I was also watching this show on, I think it's Apple TV, and the name of the show is... I was going to call it exfoliation, <laughs> but it's not exfoliation. I think the name of the show is exploitation or something like that. I don't know, but it has Kit Harrington, the very lovely, delicious looking man from Game of Thrones, Kit Harrington, and he's playing the supervillain. But anyway, it's exfoli exhibition, exfoliation, exploitation, whatever. It's, it has an X and a shun. So in that show, there was this moment when he just gave this big address and someone ran out in the front of his car wearing a mask with his face on it and they set themselves on fire. And this whole idea or notion of a person setting themselves on fire as a political statement is something that's so strong because at the point at which we set ourselves on fire, the question becomes, what else is there possible for me to do? What else is there possible for me to do or say to get your attention other than to martyr myself and other than to become an image that is burnt in your soul and psyche for the rest of your life because I don't actually know how else to let you hear what I'm saying. So this notion of the burning body, once again, is something that really punches us in the gut as far as war is concerned and as far as periods within an overall war cycle where people do the most traumatic or the most traumatic thing possible as a means of getting their point across. So that's what we see with the sun in the conjunction with Zeus. It is the combination of the burning body. Now, on a less Friday the 13th sort of way, this is also a combination that has to do with a person who just has a goal in general, and they are inflamed with the light and the fire of that goal. There is this Kabbalistic aphorism that says that we must inflame ourselves with prayer, or we should set ourselves on fire with prayer. And a part of that means that we inflame ourselves so strongly with the actual inspiration of what we believe in that we allow that to light our path through the darkness. So this combination is also the combination of the born leader. If you have this within your birth chart, then you yourself might be a born leader because you have the ability to project the light within yourself forward throughout time so that you can carve the path between where you currently are and to where you will eventually end up as far as your own success within this lifetime is concerned. It's the combination of the creative person and the procreative impulse. Another thing that is potentially challenging on this day is that it is also a combination of the rocket. 
is a combination of the missile. It's a combination for inflammable objects. So this is a combination of bombs. It's a combination of things that explode. It's a combination of things that create a great fire within the world. And because the sun makes everything corporeal or physical, this day could be a day of a great explosion. It could be a day of a great fire. It could be a day of some moment of flaming rage that catches all of our attention. So that's something that we want to be mindful of on this day with the sun in the conjunction with Zeus. We also have the sun in a parallel relationship with Zeus also happening on this day at 1.05 a.m. EDT. And when we have the conjunction of something as well as the parallel of something, that oftentimes indicates a doubling of that influence. So yes, for those of us who are artistically inclined, this could be a wonderful day for us to tap into our creative storehouses of power. For those of us who are leaders within our industry, it could be a wonderful day for us to lay out our manifesto for the year 2025. And I keep on trying to subliminally put the message of 2025 in people's minds because as we all know, 2025 is the year of astrology from a Uranian astrology perspective. And that is the year when the fog that we have surrounding astrology is going to be lifted. And that is the year when the astrologer is going to be called to stand more fully on the world stage. So, if you're not preparing for 2025 from now, then what are you doing, basically? The Sun-Zeus conjunction, as well as the Sun-Zeus parallel, has to do with us projecting the light of our leadership forward into the future so that people have something that they can hold on to and so that people have something that they can believe in. And sometimes a rocket being launched into the sky. Yes, it represents a great level of trauma. Yes, it represents a great level of pain and suffering that comes as a result of that rocket landing once more. But for the ancients, they would see a shooting star and that would be a herald of a great moment within human history, or that would be a herald that indeed a star was being born. So who knows, maybe this day, the 17th of October, is a day where we see great catastrophe in the air, but that catastrophe being the herald for something that has not yet come, or for something that has not yet made itself known to us, but it will. So, this day is starting off hot because it is going to be a hot day indeed. On this day, we also have Mercury in a quincunx relationship with Uranus, and that's happening at 10.48 a.m. EDT. Mercury quincunx Uranus is the combination for the overstimulated nervous system. So maybe all of us are overly stimulated on the 17th because we hear some stuff and that stuff doesn't just seem as if it's localized within one part of the world, but we hear that the ramification of that stuff has the ability to splash over onto our own shores as well. And it makes us very, very, very nervous about what we're hearing on this day. Something similar to this happened within the Yom Kippur War. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because we know that the current war between Israel and Palestine is happening 50 years after the Yom Kippur War. The Yom Kippur War happened in October 1973, and in 2023, we are 50 years after that event. One of the things that happened within the Yom Kippur War was that Egypt and Syria, as a result of the U.S. stepping in to back Israel within the war, 
Egypt and Syria said, hey, we're going to put an oil embargo on the countries that are currently assisting Israel. And that sent the entire world into a catastrophe because what does it mean for there to be an oil embargo in a world that basically runs on oil? So as a result of that, we saw that even though there was this localized event happening in the Middle East, it splashed out and it had this ripple effect onto the world at large as a result of the power that the Middle East held on oil in general. So that was the oil embargo. I'm not necessarily saying that we're going to see an oil embargo as a result of this, but I am saying that on days like this, we are all heightened and we're all a little bit more tense and we're all on the edge of our seats because we don't necessarily know whether or not this great rocket that is launched in the air on this day has the ability to negatively impact us as well. We also saw something similar happening at the end of 2019 where we started to hear about all of the things that were happening in China and then slowly as we moved into January it slowly started to move beyond China into other countries and I remember being in the Bahamas and I was working with a client at the time and he said to me Michael you know, we're sitting down looking over at China thinking this is a Chinese problem, but this is going to be an everyone problem. And so said, so done. By March of 2020, we were all in lockdown because very often things that have a small start can have a very wide impact on the world at large. And that's probably something that we see unfolding on the 17th of October. If you have Mercury, Queen Kong, Uranus in your birth chart, you're probably accustomed Two, always feeling as if the sky is falling because Mercury, Queen Kong's Uranus can make somebody be a nervous wreck. And that isn't a judgment statement. That's just a statement of life in general. People who have Mercury in any hard aspect relationship with Uranus tend to be very rapid fire thinker people. However, when you have Mercury in a quincunx with Uranus, you don't really know what to do with all the rapid fire of your thought process. And as a result of that, that can just set you up to be someone who's constantly nervous or you're constantly in a state of anxiety. That's also something that we see within the charts of people who have a various attention deficit disorders because it represents someone who is once again bringing in far too much lightning than they know how to control and as a result of that it leaves them with this deep-rooted sense of anxiety and just being frantic all the time. So Mercury, Uranus is the chicken little combination. It is the combination of the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But on this day when we have the sun in a conjunction with Zeus which is the combination of rockets and missiles it might indeed be that the sky is falling. Now, moving on, on this day, we have the moon making her final aspect to Pluto, which is the sextile relationship to Pluto, and that's going to be happening at 11.43 a.m. EDT. Not much to say about that other than what I said about the moon square Pluto as her final aspect on the 15th of October. Moon sextile Pluto could say that, hey, we feel as if it's time to change. We feel a change coming, and today is a herald of that as well. So let us all get our stuff together and do something that feels positively transformative within the context of our lives. And that can be something that you take advantage of even if you're not keeping your finger on the pulse of the news within the world at large, this can be something that you take advantage of. The moon in her sextile relationship with Pluto as the last aspect of the day at 3.36 p.m. Maybe you use this last moment of the moon-Pluto contact as a means of launching something for yourself that you want to be successful within the world. As you can see, this entire day is about launching. 
which once again may not be the best omen in the world in a period of warfare, but on a more individual level, where none of us have the nuclear codes for anywhere, it can be an individually wonderful day for us to launch things that we want to be successful within the world, because this is definitely the day of the rocket. Now, moving on through this day, we have Mercury in a contraparallel relationship with Venus, and we love to see it. From a natal perspective, people who have Mercury-Venus are people who have a wonderful voice. I wish I had Mercury-Venus. People who have Mercury-Venus have a wonderful voice. They sing well, they speak well, they know how to use their words to spread honey within the world. We love it. Mercury, Venus can be a wonderful day to begin writing your love novel. It can be a wonderful day to begin writing your love letter. It's all about the love on this moment of the day because as we saw earlier in the day, there are some other things that aren't necessarily the best. And I actually stupidly skipped something. But before the Mercury-Venus contact, we have the Moon ingressing into Sagittarius, and that's happening at 3.36 p.m. EDT. Like I said to you earlier, from an electional astrology perspective, the Moon ingressing into Sagittarius is far better than the Moon in Scorpio. <laughs> and so we saw the moon ingressing into Scorpio on the 15th of October. And so probably lay low in terms of doing anything that you want to be successful for the next two days after the 15th and wait until the 17th until the moon ingresses into Sagittarius. Because even though the moon only has dignity by face rulership in Sagittarius, which definitely isn't the best thing in the world, there's this ancient aphorism that says that the moon in Sagittarius is a good omen because the moon is in the domicile of Jupiter and Jupiter makes space or creates comfort for the moon in both his domiciles of Sagittarius and Pisces because the moon has given him a seat of exaltation within her own domicile. So, you know, if you have a friend, you help them out. So the moon in Sagittarius is actually quite wonderful, especially from the perspective of launching things because Sagittarius, the arrow, you know what I mean. So that is the moon in Sagittarius. And like I said, further on on this day, we do have the Mercury in the contraparallel relationship with Venus, which is a lovely combination for all things having to do with writing and writing words of peace on paper, writing words of love on paper, writing words on paper that we actually want to have a soothing or a calming effect. If you're at war with someone, then this could possibly be a wonderful day to send that person a note that opens your heart and that allows you to be vulnerable with them because it at least plants the seed for that warfare between you and that person being diminished. Moving on, the very last thing we have happening on October 17th at 8.58 p.m. EDT is Mars in a square relationship with Vulcanus. That's a lot of fire. The ancients tell us, and by the ancients I'm specifically referring to Ptolemy, Ptolemy tells us that Mars is intemperately hot and dry. And the reason for that is because Mars is very close to the Sun in the Chaldean order of Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, and the Moon. Mars is very close to the Sun, but Mars is also carrying his own internal level of heat 
as a result of the redness of his body. So the ancients thought that Mars was a star of maleficence and malevolence, and they thought that Mars was a star of bloodshed and pillaging and raping and stealing and killing and murdering and all of the things, and warfare, because Mars independently already looks like war, even without taking into consideration Mars's proximity to the sun and Mars appropriating unto himself that extra level of heat that comes from the sun, Mars already seemed like a god of warfare all by himself based on his color. So as a result of that, the ancients were afraid of Mars, and rightfully they should have been. Now on this day, we see this doubling of this firepower because we have Mars in a square relationship with Vulcanus. Vulcanus sounds like volcano. And the reason why it sounds like volcano is because even the glyph of Vulcanus is looking like a volcano. And the glyph of Vulcanus has the arrow of Mars, the upward pointing arrow of Mars, mounted upon the upward pointing triangle of fire. And that is meant to indicate this excess of firepower within the world. This represents great power. It represents great muscular strength. It represents the unleashing of power, but it also represents mighty acts of violence. So like I said to you earlier, the 17th of October is a very complicated day in general because there is far too much fire being shot across the air in general. And we saw that because the day starts off as the day of the rocket as a result of the Sun-Zeus combination, Sun in the conjunction with Zeus at the beginning of the day. And now we see the day ending with Mars in a square relationship with Vulcanus. This is a day where it can seem as if the entire world is burning down around us. And as a tactic of war, it can definitely seem as if fire is the flavor of choice on this day because not only is this the combination of the burning body based on the Sun-Zeus contact, it is the combination of burning in general and of things being set on fire. And that can be one of the larger things we hear within our global news networks on this day, the 17th of October. Moving on through to the next day, the 18th of October, we have Mars in a quincunx relationship with Admetos, and that's happening at 1.06 a.m. EDT. I personally believe that when we reach the bottom of the barrel, as far as a negative situation is concerned, the wheel has to turn. And that's just a fact of life. When things become as untenably awful as possible, the wheel begins to turn to counterbalance that level of terror and awfulness. So if the 17th of October is looking like the worst day of this coming week, of October 15th to October 21st, then the 18th of October, there must be a move. There must be a change in a direction that feels a little bit more calming and a little bit more soothing to all of our nervous systems. So I wrote down on my sticky note that the 18th of October is when the good begins. On this day, we have Mars in the Quincunx relationship with Admetos. And Mars Quincunx Admetos has to do with suppression. And once again, 
that may not necessarily be the worst thing in the world because the day before we saw an unbridled amount of Martian power in the air. So having Mars and Metos having to do with suppression on the 18th can actually be a very good thing. It represents a decrease of work or to decrease in the work that we're doing, but it can also represent a decrease in the Martian influence in general on this day. This combination of Mars and Metos also has to do with the end of activity, the end of motion, the end of doing, the end of action. And so on this day, there might just be a silence in the air in terms of, once again, we might be recuperating from the shock of October 17th, but it can also be a silence in the air that allows people to know that this doesn't even make sense anymore. We have been fighting with each other and doing all of this negative stuff to each other and it doesn't actually make sense anymore. It's time for us to come to a pause. It's time for us to come to some level of repass. And repass may not necessarily mean we come to peace on this day, but repass means that we come to some level of pausing. Because at that point, we might be dealing with the rubble and the wreckage and the ruin and realizing how much awfulness has actually transpired in these last few days and it's time for us to take a break. And so that's what we're seeing happening on the 18th of October, starting with the Mars in the Quincung's relationship with Anmitos, and those are some of the things that it can represent. Now, also, it represents oppression to the point of immobility, and we're wondering what side of the fence this might be manifesting on. Might this be manifesting on the side of the fence of the people who shot the first missile and now they find themselves where they are being surrounded and cornered in a way where they don't actually have the ability to fight back in the way that they want to fight back. And once again, this feels eerily familiar to some of the events that transpired during the Yom Kippur War because within the context of the Yom Kippur War, we found the U.S. sending aid to Israel, and that definitely was one of the determining factors within the overall story of that war, because it definitely gave pause to Egypt and Syria and the people who were fighting on their side because of this influx of U.S. military weapons of war. So this is what we find happening on the 18th of October and the day is starting like that. So moving on to the 18th of October at 5.10 a.m. we have Mercury in the semi-square relationship with Venus. We love Mercury-Venus. I spoke about that already. Mercury-Venus has everything to do with us speaking in a way that allows people to hear us and us speaking in a way where we are attracting people because of the peace within our voice as opposed to the anger and the upset within our voice. So on this 18th of October, like I said, we do see this movement towards us pausing long enough and probably within that context of pausing long enough, we begin speaking in a way that actually allows this seed of peace to not only take root, but also to begin to proliferate within the hearts and the minds of people who genuinely need it. So that's also happening on the 18th of October, 2023. Moving on through, we have Mercury in a conjunction with Zeus. Mercury conjunct Zeus is going to be occurring at 7.08 a.m. EDT. And Mercury-Zeus 
is a powerful combination as far as us speaking powerful words that have a far-reaching impact. Now, on the one hand, this has to do with dictators and it has to do with dictatorship in general and people who are choosing an autocratic path in terms of how they're interacting with the community that is reliant on their specific input or feedback. So it could be challenging from that perspective. We could see the rise of that rising within the world at large, but this is also having to do with a command that is being given or a threat that is being made. And that command or that threat once again, can be something that causes people to take pause in a very serious way because they're realizing, I don't necessarily want to be on the negative side of this and I want to do what is in the best interest of my own community as a result of this threat that I see being made from a much larger body than myself. The reality of this is that on this day, there could be an order that's being made. It has to do with the issuing of decrees as well as the issuing of laws. And it also has to do with the sentence being passed. So there's this gravity that we find manifesting in terms of serious words that give everyone pause and serious decrees being made or serious commands being made that have to be obeyed by the world at large. So this could be a very positive turn in events as far as some of the war that we're currently seeing is concerned because this could represent that there is a decree being made that causes people to just stop fighting because they realize that the threat within that decree is far larger than they're actually willing to fight for. There's a part of me that feels as if this is so sad. There's a very big part of me that doesn't feel as if this is the best thing in the world. And best is relative because I think that when it comes to a war, people feel as if they're fighting for a reason. That's just it. That was true in terms of 1973 in the Yom Kippur War, where the Egyptians felt as if they were fighting for a reason. And at the end of the Yom Kippur War, they actually felt vindicated, even though Egypt didn't necessarily quote-unquote win the Yom Kippur War, it still represented a moment for them to say, hey, this is who we are, this is what we believe in, this is what we want, this is what we're willing to settle for, and now we've gotten your attention. And within the context of what's going on in the Middle East in terms of Israel and Palestine, this back and forth of now we've got your attention is something that happens so frequently. I think that this is also an expression of that. And so on this day, there is the command to stop burning things down. There is the command to stop fighting or else. And the threat behind the or else could actually be something that causes people to lay down their arms. However, I think collectively as a global community, we have to remember that the reason why people are fighting is something that actually is meaningful to them. And it's actually something that's rooted in a very complex history. And that complex history shouldn't just be pushed to the side. And we shouldn't just slap a band-aid on top of that complex history just because we have the power to call for a ceasefire and know that people have to abide by that decree. So, very often a ceasefire isn't necessarily something that the people themselves are desirous of because when we cease fire, the question remains, but have we really gotten our point across? 
Or are we going to lay down these arms and our lives revert to what it was before we picked up these arms to begin with? So it's a very complex thing. And so while on the one hand, the Mercury Zeus is wonderful because of the ways in which it gives people the authority to make decrees that other people actually have to listen to. It's also very complicated from the perspective of, but did we hear the people crying to begin with? Did we actually hear and understand the pain behind their actions to begin with? Or are we just commanding them to lay down their weapons because we have the ability to do so? So this is a very, 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 oh, you know, it's a thing. And I think the larger takeaway for all of us should be that we listen and that we genuinely hear what people are saying beneath the pain that they are expressing to us. On this day, we have the sun in a conjunction with the south node, and that's happening at 7.21 a.m. EDT. We have the sun at 24 degrees Libra in a conjunction with the south node at 24 degrees Libra as well. And this can be indicative of the fact that there could be a general decrease in energy or there can be a general decrease in vitality on this day, which makes sense. If this day is looking like a day where a ceasefire is being announced, then it definitely makes sense that there is a general decrease or a diminishment of vital power as we would expect with the sun in a conjunction with the south node. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. In our natal chart, when we have the sun in a conjunction with the south node, that can indicate that we have daddy problems, that can indicate that we have man problems in general, that can indicate that we have daddy problems that we end up rehashing later on in our lives with all of the men who we experience intimate relationships with. Sun conjunct the south node isn't the best thing in the world as far as our father story is concerned, but it's also not the best thing in the world as far as our husband story is concerned. So if you have sun conjunct the south node, that could feel like having the sun conjunct Neptune. And sun conjunct Neptune can often feel like the man who is impotent or the man who is sterile, the man who can't get it up in a figurative sense, but also in a very literal sense as well. It can represent the impotent body or the body out of action or the body that doesn't have the ability to act. It can represent the paralyzed body. A little bit of paralysis isn't the worst thing in the world given this sort of week. We all need to sit down. We all need to take a breath. We all need to glue our feet to the floor and not move because this week is crazy. So that's happening on the 18th with the sun in the conjunction to the south node. Moving on through, we have the sun also in a parallel relationship with the south node, which is just more of the same. Now moving through, we have Venus in a semi-square relationship with Zeus. Venus-Zeus is a combination that we look for in general as far as fertility is concerned because Venus Zeus is the combination of motherhood. Venus Zeus is the combination of successful fertility, successful pregnancy. It is the combination of having a great fertile drive within yourself. Someone looks at you too hard, you get pregnant. And that's what we see happening with the Venus in the semi-square relationship with Zeus. It represents seed, sperm, procreation that evolves out of love. It also has to do with the production of love in general. But the biggest thing that Venus Zeus has to do with is to force peace upon another. 
now. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying this because when we have Venus Zeus representing forcing peace on a day when we also have the combination of Mercury Zeus, which has to do with to issue decrees or laws or to give an order that has to be obeyed, then we have this sense that there is an enforced peace that's unfolding within the world at large on this day that forces that ceasefire, that forces for people to put their arms down, that forces for people to step back from the war that they are currently engaged in, and that forces them to stop acting out of animosity towards each other and to lay down their weapons. So Venus Zeus is an enforced peace. And I think it's important for us also to remember that an enforced peace isn't the same as a real peace. Forcing someone to be at peace with someone else is not the same as real peace. Forcing children to kiss and make up is not the same as those children finding their path towards resolution by themselves. So I think that once again, there is a bitter sweetness within me as I talk about this, because on the one hand, we have the cosmic influences that move us more in the direction of establishing peace anywhere or the establishing of the enforcement of peace anywhere. But I think the larger question we have to ask ourselves is, underneath the fabric of people kissing and making up on the surface, have we actually addressed their angst? Have we actually addressed why they were fighting to begin with? Have we actually addressed anything at all? Or are we just putting a band-aid and throwing a pizza party for these people who genuinely have real concerns? The pizza party analogy is something that happens oftentimes in the Bahamas. You tell your boss that you have a problem. I think it's probably something that happens in America as well, but I'm not sure. But it definitely happens in the Bahamas. You tell your boss you have a problem, and so they throw a band-aid on it by throwing a pizza party <laughs> because, I don't know, there's something about cheese. There is actually something about cheese that's an all-healing medicine that makes all of us feel good for a while and that makes us forget all of our sorrows. I say this as a cheese lover, so maybe that's the rationale behind throwing a pizza party whenever people express genuine problems within the workplace. However, the reality is that after all of the pizza has been digested, the question is, have the problems been addressed? And chances are the problems aren't being addressed, but we are enforcing peace on the world on this day, which we're probably not even giving people a choice as to whether or not they want to be peaceful, which, given the current landscape of war that we find ourselves in, might be the best thing in the world for people to not have a choice as to whether or not they want to put down their firearms because there has been so much wreckage and bloodshed that's occurred already. However, the question still becomes, have we heard the pain behind the fighting. Now moving on, on this day we have Mars in a parallel relationship with Saturn. Mars-Saturn is the combination of destructive energy. Mars-Saturn is the death axis. In Uranian astrology and cosmobiology, when we're exploring the theme of death, we oftentimes look for hard aspects of Mars-Saturn, but we also look for hard aspects to the Mars-Saturn midpoint, which is probably going to be descriptive about how death occurs on that day. 
So today we have the Mars Saturn within the air, which is kind of also a volcano. Before we had planets such as Pluto or Vulcanus or all of these things to represent volcanoes, Mars Saturn was the combination of the volcano because Mars Saturn has to deal with an extraordinary amount of pressure that exists deep within the reaches of the Earth, and that pressure from the Earth exploding outward and causing destruction and death. So once again, we kind of wonder how far we can throw the peace that we're actually establishing on this day. It looks like a day where people have no choice surrounding the peace that they get themselves involved in. It looks like a day where people have no choice regarding laying down their weapons. But I think that sometimes that idea or that notion of people having no choice can also be problematic because we want to feel as if we've given people some amount of options that allow them to choose the path of peace if they want to. But when we force people into conditions of peace, we basically create the sort of pressure cooker that ends up becoming a volcano underneath the surface of our lives. And one thing about volcanoes, they might be dormant for a very long time, but volcanoes do have a tendency to erupt. And so we're just wondering how much we can keep the pressure cooker under wraps on this day. And once again, a lot of the astrology that I'm going over is eerily familiar to the astrology that we saw during the Yom Kippur War. During the Yom Kippur War, we had the square aspect of Saturn and Pluto in the sky. And that square aspect of Saturn and Pluto, and really any hard aspect of Saturn and Pluto, has to do with mass murder. It has to do with genocide. Saturn and Pluto has to do with death on an abnormal scale. And it doesn't just have to do with death on an abnormal scale as in Black Plague sort of death. It has to do with death on an abnormal scale as in war against humanity sort of death as far as murder and genocide is concerned. So that's something that we found active during the Yom Kippur War of October 1973. And while we don't see the Saturn-Pluto manifesting within this chart, we do see the death axis manifesting within this chart within a petri dish of things that already feel challenging beyond measure. So we're crossing our fingers and hoping that whatever peace is spoken of in the news on October 18th is a piece that has the ability to stick. Moving on through, we have the final aspect of this day being the sun in the quincunx relationship with Neptune, and that's happening on October 18th at 11.39 p.m. EDT. Sun-Neptune is the combination of the impotent man, it's the combination of the sick body, it's the combination of infection, it's the combination of paralysis. So this sun-Neptune on this day is also indicative of disappointment. When we look at the Rules for Planetary Pictures, which is our chief textbook as far as Uranian astrology is concerned, if we look in the Rules for Planetary Pictures at what the Sun-Neptune combination means, it means a day of disappointment. So, there's that. Once again, we have beautiful things happening on this day that looks like the movement towards the ending of conflict. But we also have this air of disappointment in the air. 
Who knows what that disappointment is for? Maybe that disappointment is because even though we're asking people to put down their arms, we haven't actually formed any realistic resolutions between those people. Maybe the disappointment is because the ceasefire is done at a huge compromise that doesn't actually allow anybody to feel really honored by virtue of it. Maybe it's because of a number of reasons. The point of the matter is we're ending with disappointment on October 18th. 2023 at 11.39 p.m. EDT. It's not the best thing in the world. And sometimes disappointment can also be something that feels like a paralyzing influence within the life of a person because it can feel like, oh my God, what now? You know, there's nothing else for me to do. There's nowhere else for me to go. I don't know how to function now that I am encroached upon by this type of disappointment because it feels like I'm numb. I'm so numb to what has occurred that I'm just willing to say yes to anything because you still haven't really understood what I'm trying to say to you underneath the fabric of my actions that have already been done and therefore whatever. What will be, let it be. It's kind of the attitude that we're ending the 18th of October with. Now, going into the 19th of October, a very busy day in the sky once more. We have Mercury conjunct the south node. If you have Mercury conjunct the south node in your birth chart, you probably have trouble expressing yourself. Mercury conjunct the south node is something that we also find within the charts of women who have various fertility issues and who in general have difficulty in terms of conceiving or taking a pregnancy fully to term. And the reason for that is because from a universal perspective, Mercury has to do with children and the South Node is one of our universal toilet bowls of the cosmos. Therefore, if you have your children conjunct the toilet bowl, chances are they're either spoiled rotten or chances are you are having difficulty in terms of having children in general. So that's something that we find with the Mercury conjunct the South Node. It could also be a speech impediment, having Mercury conjunct the South Node. It can say that you find it difficult to really articulate yourself and you find it difficult to really put your words together in a way that actually allows other people to understand you clearly. So that's something else we see with the Mercury conjunct the South Node. Now, moving on, we have Mars in a sextile relationship with Cupido. We tend to love Mars Cupido. It has to do with a marriage agreement or a marriage partnership. It can also have to do with a working partnership or a community of people who we work with. The point is that Mars Cupido has to do with pleasant exchanges within our working environment. So this is a little bit nice. And once again, we see some of the fog lifting. And this is another thing that we find being a very good thing. It has to do with working for the greater good of the collective as well as working for the greater good of the community. So Mars Cupido is a lovely combination and we see that happening on October 19th at 7.28 a.m. EDT. Moving on through on this day, we have Mercury in a quincunx relationship with Neptune and that's happening at 10.11 a.m. EDT. Mercury-Neptune, in any hard aspect, including the quincunx, even though we know that the quincunx isn't an aspect, in any hard aspect, including the quincunx, Mercury-Neptune, from a medical astrology perspective, has to do with paralysis and the weakening of the nerves. Mercury-Neptune has to do with things that prevent us from being able to access our senses in a profound way, and very often, Mercury-Neptune can diminish our sense of touch. So Mercury-Neptune has to do with a desensitization of our nervous system so that we do not feel pain in the same way that other people feel pain. However, 
there's, you know, problems within that because we're meant to feel pain because pain is a signal of something potentially being broken or wrong or in need of adjustment within our world. So Mercury-Neptune is a problem from a medical astrology perspective because it can make us move through the world desensitized. And if you're moving through the world desensitized, you're probably not going to realize when you chop your arm off. I remember when I got this scar that's in my forehead. I have a scar in my forehead right here. And I got it because I was trying to teach a girl how to play golf. And I had never played golf a day in my entire life. And I said, swing away. And she swung the club and the club landed smack dab in the middle of my forehead, directly over my right eye. I almost lost my eye. If that club was a little bit, probably two or three inches, a little bit lower, we'd be in a different world right now. But anyway, I didn't lose my eye, but it landed pretty close to my eye. And when it happened, I didn't actually feel anything. And I think that that is the impact of trauma. Oftentimes when traumatic things happen to us, we don't feel the trauma in the moment. And we have to sit with it for a while to actually realize how traumatic it is. I also have a friend who recently passed away and the funeral was recorded and it's on YouTube. And at some point in time, I'm going to sit down and watch that funeral because she was my friend. She was one of the greatest supporters of everything I did within my life. But it hasn't really occurred to me yet or it hasn't really settled in for me yet that as far as our human understanding of life is concerned, she's dead. And I am going to watch the funeral. I'll probably watch it today. I'll probably watch it tomorrow. But the point is, whenever I watch it, that's going to really settle for me because I caught a glimpse of it and I saw in it her family members crying in the front seat. And I was like, oy vey, Michael, you know that when you watch this, you're going to be a mess. So I'm going to watch it at some point in time. But I think I'm saying all of this because the Mercury-Neptune can be something that causes us to be numb to the pain that we actually experience. The point is, getting back to our forecast, we have the Mercury in the Quincunx with Neptune that's happening on the 19th, and that has to do with things that desensitize us where we don't really feel very well. It also has to do with people lying and not telling the truth. So Mercury-Neptune has to do with a wonderful fantasy being woven, but that fantasy isn't actually based on anything truthful at all. So that's something that we want to be mindful of on that day as well with the Mercury in the Quincunx with Neptune. Now, moving on through, we have, once again, the Mercury-Zeus combination, but this time it's Mercury-Parallel-Zeus. And Mercury-Parallel-Zeus, once again, has to do with an order that's being issued that has to be obeyed, a command, a decree. We aren't letting go of this cosmic influence of making a demand on people of what they do with their efforts. And once again, we see the impetus of people being forced to do something because the threat, if they don't do it, is probably that much larger than if they just choose to accept what's being proposed to them. So that's once again happening on October 19th. So we are in these past two days, the 18th and the 19th, in a season of commands being made that need to be honored or else. Moving on through, we have Venus in a sesquiquadrate relationship 
with the North Node, Venus Sesquiquadrate Node is very nice because when we have the Venus in the Sesquiquadrate with the Node, it means that people are moving towards creating peaceful, intimate connections with each other. Venus Node, as many of you know, is a combination of the intimate connections that we form in love. When people have Venus Node in their birth charts, those people can oftentimes be artists or creatives or actors or people who work with an artistic community, but it's also a combination for marriage and it's also a combination for love. So Venus Node is a wonderful thing as far as the movement towards peace is concerned and we do see this happening on the same day that we have the Mercury parallel Zeus, which is representing a command that's being made that has to be honored. So those two things are occurring on the 19th of October. Moving on through, we have the moon in a sextile relationship with the sun, and that's going to be her last aspect on the 19th of October before going void, of course. Moon, sextile, sun is nice. Any good combination between the moon and the sun is nice because the moon and sun in good combination gives a person good health and robust vitality. So we love a moon-sun combination. We don't really like the fact that this is the last aspect of the moon, which means the moon is now void, of course. But if you have positive relationships between the moon and the sun within your birth chart, whether they are in a sextile or a trine relationship, and probably even the conjunction, even though the conjunction is probably a little bit more speculative, but if you have good relationships between the moon and the sun within your birth chart, you're probably someone with robust health and good vitality as a potential promise for you within this lifetime. As we know, we can't really sum up somebody's entire life by just speaking about one aspect that exists within their chart, but chances are you have it in a good way, basically. So that's the moon in the sextile relationship with the sun on the 19th of October. Moving through, we have Mars in the conjunction with Apollon. I love Apollon. Maybe it's because on top of being an Admetos person, I'm also an Apollon person, which is kind of counterintuitive because they're basically the opposites of each other. But Mars Apollon has to do with a generous way of acting, and it also has to do with a large movement towards peace internationally. Apollon has to do with all things having to do with international relationships or foreign concerns, and Mars Apollon has to do with the work that allows for our international connections to be well, or the work that allows for our international connections to be in a state of peacefulness. So we love Mars and Apollon. It's a very wonderful thing. It represents successful activity in general. It represents successful trading between people and successful trading between nations. And I think one of the larger things that this is indicative of is that it represents peacemakers within the world at large. So even though October 18th might be a herald for peace, October 19th, particularly the end of the day on October 19th at 5.54 p.m. EDT, we see more of a stronger movement towards peace and more of a stronger movement towards peace treaties being signed in general, which could indicate that October 19th might be a definite end or a definite culmination 
of this period of warfare that we currently find our world in. So we want to keep our calendars marked for the 19th of October when it is very likely that we're going to be moving into a state of peace being made and peace being kept and the promise of peace being fulfilled within the world at large. The final thing happening on this day, the 19th of October at 9.54 p.m. EDT is we have the moon ingressing into Capricorn. Moon doesn't like being in Capricorn. I don't like being in Capricorn. The moon in Capricorn is a very challenging thing in general. And the moon is in the sign of her detriment in Capricorn. And I have a lot to say about it. I'm not going to labor you with it. When we have the moon in Capricorn afflicted by malefic planets within our birth chart, it's saying to us that we have stiff hamstrings and that we have bad knees. Because very often that is something that we find with the moon in Capricorn afflicted by other planets. We might have moon and Capricorn in a square relationship with Saturn, and that gives us stiff hamstrings and stiff knees. We might have the moon and Capricorn in a square relationship with Mars, and that gives us stiff hamstrings and inflamed knees. We might have the moon and Capricorn in a square relationship with Uranus, and that gives us stiff hamstrings and unstable knees. We might have the moon and Capricorn in a square relationship with Neptune, and that gives us stiff hamstrings and actually it probably gives us loose hamstrings and it gives us loose ligaments of the knee so we don't really have a stable knee and therefore our body as a defense mechanism causes swelling around the knee because that's the body's way of trying to create a sense of stability around the knee when in fact our knees are made out of strings and chicken bones. When we have the moon and Capricorn in a square relationship with Pluto, we might have no hamstrings and a knee replacement. <laughs> because as we know, Pluto takes things away. And if Pluto is going to take something away from us, we're probably going to have to replace it with something else. So moon and Capricorn square Pluto might have stolen your hamstrings away because of some accident you've been through. And you might also have a knee replacement as a result of that. So that's just several articulations of the moon and Capricorn. Now we are bringing this week to an end. On the 20th of October 2023 at 1.37 a.m. EDT, we have Mercury in a conjunction with the sun. And Avraham Ibn Ezra, who is seeming like a very appropriate person to be speaking about right now because Avraham Ibn Ezra was a Jewish astrologer who gave us a lot of the wonderful texts and the wonderful explanations that we find coming out of the medieval period. A lot of it also came from him. So Abraham Ibn Ezra said that on a day when we have Mercury in a conjunction with the sun, that can feel as if there are two Mercuries within the sky. So it's a very chattery day. It's a very cerebral day, but it's a day when news is flying left, right, and center. And the image that I'm getting in my mind as I say this is that image that we see in the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the boy who lived, where it says that owls were flying back and forth over London. And Clearly, the muggles, the London people, didn't know what was going on, but these owls were carrying messages to speak about the fact that Lord Voldemort had 
died and that there was this one boy who had lived and his name was Harry Potter. And so that is the entrance to the entire series or the entire collected volumes of the Harry Potter series. And today is feeling like a day when if we don't have the owls flying back and forth in the air, we definitely have a lot of news and chatter going on on our news networks. And that can be chattered towards the fact that, alas, things have ended. Alas, the war has ended. Alas, we have signed peace documents and today is a new day and it feels wonderful and it feels as if there is nothing that's going wrong on this day because we, well, I mean, there's some things going wrong later in the day. But the fact of the matter is, it feels as if today is a day where the news stations are buzzing because there's probably something positive to buzz about. So that's happening on the 20th of October at 1.37 a.m. for us on the East Coast, but if you are living in Israel, then Israel is about six hours ahead. So this is probably going to be at 7.30 a.m. for you in Israel. And the point is, it's starting off as a very chattery day because there's probably good things to be spoken about. Later on, we have Mercury in a parallel relationship with the South Node. Once again, something that's saying that there's a lot of chit-chat going on within our intimate connections and possibly because there is so much to talk about on this day. And people, everybody wants the inside scoop. Everybody wants to have something to say. Everybody wants to be able to talk about the fact that, wow, Today is a new day and things have changed and things are so different. Look at all of this stuff that we have to say and look at all of us after the fact having so much to say. It's very interesting how people after the fact always have a lot to say and this is probably happening on the 20th. The positive thing probably happens on the 19th and then the 20th everybody wants to talk about what happened. Now on the same day we have the parallel relationship between Mars and Apollon and the parallel of Mars Apollon is quite wonderful because once again, it represents peaceful interactions. It represents peaceful trading between people. It represents the peacemaker and days of peace in general. So this peace is something that we expect to be heard of within the world at large because it's happening in the sky at large. And if it's happening in the sky, it's happening on the ground. So that's happening on this day, the 20th of October as well. Mars Apollon, a wonderful connection in terms of us being willing to work within a more generous way towards each other, but it's also a wonderful connection in terms of us being willing to work towards our commonwealth and the common realization of peace between ourselves and others within the world at large. We love a Mars Apollon in much the same way as we love most things with Apollon. It's a good day, the 20th of October. The 20th of October is ending with Mercury in a square relationship with Pluto, and that's happening at 8.50 p.m. EDT. Mercury-Pluto, from a medical astrology perspective, can have to do with afflictions of our small intestines. And so we know that the small intestines have the three parts. We have the duodenum, the jejunum, the ilium, and Mercury-Pluto can have to do with any sort of afflictions along that part of our digestive tract. It can have to do with resecting or with removing portions of the small intestines and replacing it with something else because Mercury-Pluto has to do with afflictions to the gut. 
So that is one of the ways how Mercury and Pluto is showing up from a medical astrology perspective. Another way has to do with mental health issues, which I'm not going to get into. I'm pretty sure I've gotten into it in other weeks. So Mercury-Pluto is also something that we find happening as a result of trauma that people experience in their lives and that trauma leaving an impact on them in the shape of post-traumatic stress disorder, but also in the shape of various psychological coping mechanisms that aren't actually healthy that can oftentimes end up manifesting as mental illness later on. So we love to talk about the glories of war being over. However, we forget about the soldiers who fought in the war, and we forget about the people who actually experienced the war on the ground, and we forget about how traumatic that can actually be, and how that trauma can leave invisible wounds within the soul and psyche of people for seven generations. While this day is good for other reasons, it's also a day of psychological trauma, and it's also a day where we might be grappling with the realities of all that has occurred. And if we don't find healthy ways to move that out of our system, it oftentimes finds its resting place in our gut. This is something that we need to know in general. When we don't find healthy ways to move trauma through our system, it oftentimes finds ways of expressing itself through our physiological constitution, and very often the resting place of trauma is in our gut. And the reason for that is because trauma is meant to be processed in the same way that any waste material is meant to be processed. It's meant to move through us, and it's meant to be evacuated. However, when we cannot move trauma through us and evacuate it, it causes a buildup of toxicity within our system. And that buildup of toxicity is emotionally synonymous with the physical reaction of constipation. And in the words of my yoga guru, BKS Iyengar, he says that constipation is the root of every disease. And what that means from a more metaphysical perspective is when we don't have the ability to let go of waste content from within ourselves, when we don't have the ability to let go of trauma from within ourselves, we end up being a repository and a reservoir of trauma within our physical constitution. And that can create a very toxic environment for life. And that can also diminish the quality of our lives. So those of us who experience trauma, we also need to go through the sort of healing processes that give us catharsis and release from those trauma experiences. Because the opposite of that is the physical manifestation of trauma in our bodies, which can oftentimes wreak havoc on the digestive system. Now, the very last thing that we have occurring this week, on October 21st, 2023, at 10.09 a.m. EDT, the only thing we have happening in the sky is the sun in a square relationship with Pluto. Sun square Pluto has to do with the days of transformation. Now, as you all know, I hate the word transformation, as far as Pluto words are concerned, I think it's highly overrated and highly overdone. However, the point is the textbook definition of Sun Pluto within the rules for planetary pictures, 
which is once again our Uranian astrology textbook. The combination of Sun-Pluto has to do with days of change or days of growth or days of evolution or days of transformation and it also has to do with metamorphosis. So while in general I would not think the Sun-Pluto combination was a good combination at all, I would actually think that it is actually quite a traumatic combination, quite a combination that has the ability to manifest very real suffering within the lives of people. Once again, the wheel keeps turning. So we've just gone through a week of trauma. We've just gone through a week of suffering. We've just gone through a week of pain beyond measure. The week started with the moon square Pluto and the week is ending with the sun square Pluto. So the reality is within the context of reading the astrology of this week in a more organically unfolding way, there is a higher likelihood that the sun Pluto on October 21st has more to do with a movement towards a new day and a movement towards living in a new era, a movement towards living in a new moment of time that is different from the trauma that we've just experienced over the last seven days and also within the context of last week. So what I'm saying, the soundbite is that Sun Pluto has to do with a day of trauma. However, we just went through a week of trauma. We just went through two weeks of trauma. So the reality is, based on the astrology that we see on the 19th and the 20th, which is an astrology that is moving us more in the direction of peace, chances are this Sun-Pluto combination on the 21st is not going to manifest more trauma. Chances are it's going to represent the definite closing of one chapter and the opening of a new chapter, which is oftentimes what it feels like after the hurricane has passed and after the entire world has been destroyed around us. When we open the door from our cave, we don't live in caves. When we open the door of our home at the end of a hurricane and we go outside and we see the debris and the chaos and the rubbish and the ruin all around us, there's something that's also very electric and there's something that's also very new within the air because we know that we've just passed through a crucible of change that is and that has been painful beyond measure, but we see ourselves still alive at the opposite side of this. If you're a person who has a very strong Pluto in your chart, you have Pluto conjunct an angle, you have Pluto conjunct a luminary, you have Pluto in square aspect with a luminary, you have Pluto in a conjunction with the rule of your ascendant, this is, for me, one of the indications that even if the world were to be catapulted into the next world war, you would be the one to survive. Even if we were to have the dropping of an atomic bomb, you would be the one to survive. Because the sentient beings who survive calamities and catastrophes in life are rats, because nothing will ever make the rat population go extinct, roaches, because roaches are the only things that can actually survive the atomic bomb, and people who have a very strong Pluto within their birth charts. And the reason for that is because much of your life has already been an atomic bomb. Much of your life has already been a life of trauma, a life of catastrophe, a life of pain. And as a result of that, you have within yourself the intestinal fortitude to traverse 
any challenging situation that life can potentially throw you away because you know deep within your cellular constitution that this too shall pass and you also know that pain is something that comes and it happens and then it's gone. And very often the larger pains that we experience within our lives make the smaller pains that we experienced earlier seem like a joke. So the reality is that when you have a strong Pluto, you have the ability to withstand a lot. And you also have the ability to accept the changing from one chapter of life into another chapter of life. This is a very wonderful combination that we're ending this week of October 15th to October 21st on. It's a combination that gives us hope. It's a combination that gives us a feeling of closing one chapter and starting a new one. And the greater hope that we all have within ourselves, for ourselves and for the world at large, is that we all become better human beings as a result of this week ahead. Thank you all so much for joining us once again for another episode of both next week's astrology as well as your Uranian Astrology Weekly update. I hope that this has given you something to carry with you within this week ahead and I also hope that this has given you some level of peace or reassurance or some window that lets you know that even if we're traversing through a challenging period right now that things change. And I think that one of the greatest gifts of astrology is that astrology gives us this knowledge that time heals everything and this knowledge that time also continues to turn the wheel of life forward so that even if you find yourself on a challenging portion of the wheel of life right now, time moves on and time moves all of us with it. So once again, the astrology of last week was the astrology of wars and the rumors of wars as we predicted in last week's astrology forecast. And now that we actually find ourselves living in the experience of that, we also have further predictions to make regarding how this week is going to unfold in terms of this larger period of war that we find ourselves in. And the promise of that, which is the only promise that astrology makes, is that if given enough time, things change, things turn around, and we find ourselves becoming better human beings as a result of it. So thank you so much for joining once again for this forecast for the week ahead. If you have benefited from this, or if you benefit from any of the work that we do here at the Oracular School of Astrology, please like this video. Also, please subscribe to the Oraculos podcast on YouTube if that's where you're watching this right now. Please hit the notification bell so that you get notifications of when I come out with these forecasts on a weekly basis. And also, please subscribe to the Oraculos podcast on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. Please just take a moment, open up your Spotify app, look for the Oraculos podcast, subscribe to us there as well as on Apple Podcasts so that you can listen to us on all of the podcast platforms if you don't have time to sit down and watch the actual forecast on YouTube. And please do leave a review. On Apple Podcasts, you have the opportunity to leave a review for the Oraculos Podcast to tell people what you love about listening to the Oraculos Podcast. Please do leave us a review 
over there. Like I said last week, we have the one tiny negative review that I technically hate because it's an awful review that I don't think actually is reflective of the larger quality of the astrology that we practice here at the Oracular School of Astrology, which indeed is world-class gold standard astrology. So please, 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 from the bottom of my heart, if you love the work that we do here, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a positive review so that we can bury that review that is there in the garbage can of negative reviews that we're trying not to get. Thank you so much for that already from the bottom of my heart. And thank you for always making it the Oraculos podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael A. Bryan, leaving you in peace and love and hope until we meet again. Have a good one. Bye-bye.